have in my hand. Powerful word of God. Can change lives, heal broken hearts, save man's soul. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, man, I'm glad we're on dry land. I don't know about you, but I was thinking, man, is there somebody building a boat around here? As if there was, I was going to go look him up. (laughs) I love this message series we're doing. Uh, We're, again, going to be looking at... uh, Make sure the volume... The second hidden message or hidden story of Jesus, we're going to look in Isaiah today. Uh, Isaiah teaches us about a Jesus who brought atonement to us. In this chapter, the whole chapter of the 53rd chapter of Isaiah, <clears throat> the rabbis in the Jewish culture do not teach this chapter. And the reason they don't teach this chapter is because it's so graphically points to Jesus the Messiah that it would take away from their narrative that the Messiah hasn't come yet. Because if the Messiah has come, they've lost power and authority in Israel. So it's kind of interesting. So I'd like for us to start and just look at the first 12 verses and around the idea of atonement, but also the real beauty of Jesus. So let's start at the first verse. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he bore... And our sorrows he carried, yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter, and like a sheep that is silent before his shearers, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due. His grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death, because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief, if he would render himself as a guilt offering. He will see his offspring. He will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many, as he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong. Because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he himself bore the sin of many 
and interceded for the transgressors. What a great section of Scripture describing our Messiah. Isaiah paints this interesting portrait of him. And normally when you see a portrait of Jesus, you'll see this heavenly looking creature. This beautiful man and blue eyes and a halo. And there's just, he's very pleasant to look at. But yet our description in Isaiah says there's nothing about him that's going to draw you to him, especially the way he looks. So if you're ugly, you must be more godly than if you're pretty. No, not true. Not true. You know that's not true. Because beauty is measured differently by every, every person, isn't it? What's the, what's the funny phrase I used to hear? Uh, beauty is skin deep, but ugly runs pure, clear to the bone or something like that. Uh, but Isaiah is just simply letting us see Jesus. The Jesus that walked upon this earth. The Jesus was as common a man as you and I are. That's the Jesus that Isaiah is showing us and picturing for us. And you remember the old phrase, you can't judge a book by its cover? Well, that's true, isn't it? So true. You never know what's on the inside. Forrest Gump said, life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. And I, I learned early on to look at the lid of the box of chocolates because it has all the chocolate pieces in there. And you can find the ones that are hard. I like those, not those little soft ones. How many of you like the harder ones? Yes. The soft ones, just let me know. I'll pack them up and bring them to you. They just don't taste right. So don't judge a book by its cover. In Philippians 2, 5 through 8, Paul does an excellent job of describing Jesus in his earthly form, uh, his heavenly fame in an earthly frame, as what one commentator put it. He was willing to come and to live in this world, live in poverty, and was willing to surround himself with common men, sinners, so that his real beauty might be seen, not in his looks, but in how he treated each person. We need to see him that way, and we need to allow him to be seen that way in and through us. Because I want you to think for a minute about Jesus' life. Let me give you a few bullet points there in your your outline. He was born to peasant parents. Born in a manger, not a palace. Poverty, his constant companion. His disciples were just common fishermen. Common peasants were his most devoted followers. His death was among the condemned and wretched. His church, for the most part, is made up of lowly people. Many think that such a man is not worthy of our love and devotion and worship, but with Jesus, his real beauty lies not in what man can see, but in what he, Jesus, has done. So I want us to look at four aspects of the beauty that Jesus shows us and the atonement that he gained on our behalf. Let's look at verses 4 and 5 to see, first of all, his his pain. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastising for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. You see, he suffered pain at the hands of the soldiers. 
It was a terrible death. Terrible death. He was forced to endure excruciating pain, such as beating in Luke 22, scourging in Matthew 27, spitting, mockery both in Matthew 27. His beard was plucked from his face. You ever pulled hair out of your face? Hurts. Well, his was just, he was already beaten and they were just pulling that out of his, his beard out of his face. Isaiah 50 tells us that. Again, back in Matthew 27, he was stripped, he was nailed to the cross. And then just the crucifixion itself, how devastating that was to his body. A death on the cross was the most horrible form of execution known to mankind. The word that we use, excruciating, comes from that word crucifixion. When a man's crucified on the cross, it's, it's just tremendous strain. It's exerted on his wrists and his arms, his shoulders. He usually dislocates those shoulders, his elbow joints. And the arms are being held up and held the rib cages uh, that's, that's holding the rib cage. And as he holds it up, it, it, it affects his respiratory system. And eventually the fluids from his body then pour into his lungs and that's what kills the person in crucifixion. Most of them, their arms are tied to the crossbar, but not Jesus. He was nailed there. His feet were nailed to the cross. So when he pushed up with his legs, he had to push up with his feet against the spike that was driven through the top of both feet. I don't know about you, but when you stop and think about all that, why do I sin the way I do? And He did that so that you and I could go to heaven. He did that so that you and I could have forgiveness of sin. It's amazing, isn't it? It's absolutely amazing. He suffered at the hand of the Roman soldiers. Secondly, He suffered pain at the hand of a sovereign God. In verses 4 and 6 and verse 10, it talks about that. While Jesus was on the cross... A remarkable thing happened. Jesus actually became, on the cross, the manifestation of our sin. If you read 2 Corinthians 5.21. In the mind of God, Jesus became the sin of the world, and so the Father judged Him at the cross for all the sin before and yet to come, including yours and mine. Stop and think about that a moment. The Father knew what he was doing. The crowd mistook his cries to the Lord for Elijah. But he was calling out to the Father, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he suffered pain at the hands of sinners. The crowd that mocked him and laughed at him and spit at him, cursed him. While he hung on the cross. I mean, it was enough that he was on the cross. But the Bible plainly tells us that Jesus suffered in, in Isaiah 53, verse 6, our text. He suffered because of you and me. Now, we weren't there when they nailed him, when they spit upon him, and when they beat him and mocked him. But he endured all that because he loved us. Hebrews 12 says he endured the cross for the joy set before Him. And what joy was that? Well, I believe that joy that was set before Him was the day that Harold or Leah 
or Corey or Bryant or you accepted him as their Savior. That was the joy set before him because he knew that one day we were going to come. Isn't that exciting? If you stop and think about it, what a powerful thought, what a powerful thing Jesus did for us and enduring what he did. But it was at our hands that he suffered the cross. I mean, our, our memory verse talks about that as well. He suffered all that he did, and yet he was God in the flesh. Isn't it astonishing that the one who had all the power in heaven, in earth as well, that he would endure what he did so with, and did it without opening his mouth in, in verse 7, Isaiah 53, 7? What could, have, what could he have done? I mean, he could have intervened. He had the command of 10,000 angels. Jesus said, and they would have been there. But he didn't. He didn't. He climbed on that cross and he let them whip him. And he let them shove the crown of thorns on his head. And they let him, them spit in his face. There's nothing worse than somebody spitting in your face, is there? You want to just you want to well up your fist and start wailing at them, don't you? I'm telling you, it's, it just amazes you. And he did that. And they said, if you're the king of the Jews, do this. And they would put a blindfold on him, and then they would hit him with their fists and say, Oh, tell us, king, who hit you? His love for us was so great, he refused to condemn us. Instead, he willingly took our sins upon himself and died in our place. Oh, what a Savior we have. Jesus died for you, died for me, and the least that we can do is to give him our heart in salvation. It's the least we can do. Because one day, one day, just like he climbed up Golgotha to die, one day he's going to come back to get us. But he can't get you if you're not ready to go. If you're not part of the kingdom. If you're not part of the family. If he hasn't saved your soul, he can't come back and get you because there's nothing to get. We see his pain. And secondly, we see his payment. Look at verses 6 and 7. And all us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter, and like a sheep that is silent before its shears, so he did not open his mouth. In dying on the cross, Jesus did what no other could do. He satisfied God's righteous demands for the payment of sin. There had to be a payment. Shed blood, sacrificial lamb, so that sin could be atoned for. Jesus was willing to be that for us. For you and for me. In Him, the sinner can find forgiveness for sin. Now, we ought to thank God. We ought to stop and thank God. The world may remember my sins. The devil may remember my sins. You may remember my sins. But Jesus has forgiven and forgotten my sins. We should rejoice and sing hallelujah. And Jesus paid the price. And He paid the bill. 
And it will never, ever come due again. John one twenty nine says the next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Wow. Wow. Can you imagine John seeing him come up the road? Wow. How did John know it was him? <laughs> he knew. Just like how do you know that Jesus is real? You know. I don't have to tell you. I don't have to prove it to you. you got faith that it is. Amen? You do. So we see His pain. We see the payment that He made. But also in verse 11, we see His plan. The latter part of verse 11 says, By His knowledge the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many as He will bear their iniquities. And this verse tells us that the Messiah's plan is right there in your outline. I've left you a blank to fill in. The Messiah's plan was to justify many. To justify many. Tells us a little about His plan and about His heart. I've already told you that Jesus has forgiven and forgotten our sins. But may I give you one, just a little bit better than that, one item that's better even, is that He, in, in, in the mind of God, He who have trust, those who have trusted in Jesus, they become fully justified. It's just as if you'd never sinned. I'm justified, just as if I'd never sinned. It's amazing. How can God do that? I don't do, I don't do that well, do you? I have a difficult time for, in forgiveness with certain folks, don't you? Sure you do. Don't lie to me. You know you do. But Jesus, how could He do that? Because my sin keeps coming back time after time after time after time. Wow. God is just looks at us just as if we had never sinned at all when his the blood of his son covers our sin. Does it mean that God does not know when we sin? Of course he knows when we sin. He knows it all, sees it all. It's like a mother. A mother sees stuff, she sees things that nobody ever thinks they see. That's why kids leave their house to go do it at some other kid's house. Because their mother isn't at that house. Only to find out that that boy's mother is at that house. And she's got eyes just like your mother does. God's chosen to see. Not as we are, but as we shall be when we are changed into His image. Oh, what a glorious sight that will be. Amen? And His plan is to justify many. Second Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Woo! Love that verse. Jesus desires that men come to Him for salvation. He desires this so much that He's flung the doors of heaven open, and salvation so wide that anyone who desires to be saved can be saved. Get up and be saved. You ever listen to music kids today listen to? Wow. It's, it's not very nice. I'm amazed that girls let young men play this music because of the way the girls are described in these lyrics of these songs. I don't get it. 
But I know that God still loves them too, doesn't he? And I know that Jesus died on the cross for them just like Isaiah said he did. So we see his pain, his payment, his plan. And then lastly, verse 12, we see his place. Look at verse 12. Therefore I will allot him a portion with the great. He will divide the booty with the strong because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. According to that verse, God the Father has rewarded Jesus with the place of honor. Highly exalted him today. But the Bible tells us that after he died, he was placed in a grave, and then three days later he rose from the dead. He was placed in a grave, and three days later he rose from the dead. And at that time, he then ascended back to heaven, back to the Father, and at that point made atonement for our sins by offering his blood on heaven's mercy seat. Forty days later, he ascends back to heaven where he sat down with the Father's right hand to wait on the Father's plan to be fulfilled. He hasn't been on this earth for nearly 2,000 years or more. No man has seen him, yet the Bible tells us that he is in a place of honor today. Because the Bible is clear that men will bow one day and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Every powerful politician will find out how weak they really are. Every mouthy atheist who says there is no God will find out how wrong they are. This exalted Lord is returning one day. And He's returning to get us, to get His people and bring them back with Him to heaven. I'm ready, aren't you? Spread my wings and fly, Lord. Come on now. I'll fly away. Can't wait for that. It may take some bigger wings than yours, but that's okay. My God is able. And the only way you're really going to see the, the real beauty of Jesus, the atoning Jesus, is to look at the holes in His hands and His feet and the crown of thorns upon His head. That's the only way you're going to see the true beauty of Jesus. Isaiah paints a very gloomy picture, but when you look at that picture and see through the picture, you see the cross in its ugliness, in its death, in its darkness, and you can see the eternal light. When he hung his head, he said, it's finished. It's finished. And Satan thought he won, but he didn't. So a few questions. Have you bowed before Him and acknowledged Him to be the Lord, of your, Lord, the Lord and Lords and the King of Kings of your life? Have you bowed at His feet and received Him into your heart and life and Savior as, and received Him as Savior and Lord? Have you given Him the exalted place He deserves in your life? In heaven the angels bow before Him. The saints worship Him. On the earth the elements are under His control and the devils tremble at the mention of His name. The Bible says often that the demons tremble when they're in the presence or in the sight of Jesus or even hear His name. He has been given a name above all names. Do you today recognize Jesus for who He really is? Is He your Savior? Is He your Lord? Is He your King? 
There's a book in the Bible called The Song of Solomon. It's a tale of love between a husband and a wife. And at one point in this book, the bride is describing her husband. And she calls to mind attribute after attribute in an effort to fully describe his beauty. And then she finally exhausts her similes and metaphors and vocabulary and simply says in chapter 5, verse 16 of Song of Solomon, Yea, he is altogether lovely. That describes the way Jesus looks to me today. He's altogether lovely. We could spend days talking about all He is to you and to me, yet when He summons us, are we going to respond to the call? When you feel the prompting of God in the Spirit, are you going to respond to the prompting of the Spirit? His real beauty is not found in His physical appearance while He walked among men. It is not found in His wealth He accumulated here on earth. It is not found in the people who are who was most closely associating with Him. His beauty is found simply in what He has done for you and for me. No greater gift can you do for any man than to lay down your life for your brother. The real beauty of Jesus is found in His great love and sacrifice for us. So with all that in mind, can you honestly say this morning that you are saved by His grace? I hope you can. If you can't, today you need to take care of that. Are you going to heaven when you die? Have you received Jesus as your Savior? If not, and you have no concept of the real beauty of Jesus, you're still stuck on the pictures that are on the wall, not the one that hung on the cross. And by the authority of God's Word, I invite you today to come to Jesus and discover for yourself His real beauty and how much He can do for you if you'll just let Him. If you'll just let Him. Father, I ask You this morning to stir among us and wrestle with our heart a little bit. Some of us have become complacent. We're satisfied. Oh, we read the Bible. We study the Bible. We make a stab at it. We've heard messages upon messages upon messages and lessons upon lessons. And yet, and yet, we're still not growing. We're just here. We still let little things get to us. We don't see the big picture. Father, would you work in each heart that's in this room this morning, in this building today, help them understand how much you love us, how much you care for us, how much you want for us. So God, I'm just asking, is there somebody in this room today that would just give their heart to you? Maybe for the very first time. God, if, if there is, a, is there one, if there is a one, would you move on them today? In Jesus we pray. Amen.